If you will, turn in your Bibles to the first chapter of the Gospel of John, beginning in verse 19, as we continue our study through the Word. So you'll remember that we began the Gospel of uh, John last time, and we talked about the fact that the Gospel of John was written by the Apostle John. And you remember that he writes it after the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those are known as the Synoptic Gospels. And you remember that John has a specific purpose for the writing of the Gospel, and that is that you might know that Jesus Christ is the true and the living God and that there is life in his name and in no other. John unabashedly points to the purpose that he writes his gospel is to bring us to a relationship with the true and the living God that is in the kingdom of God through which Christ establishes. So the question of who is Jesus? You remember that John talks about the fact that we beheld him, we touched him, we walked with him in his earthly ministry. So John is eminently qualified to be able to discuss the, the identity of Jesus Christ. It's a question that was relevant back in John's day. It's a a question that is equally as relevant in, in our day today. The fact that the historical Jesus existed there, there is no doubt that there was a person named Jesus 2,000 years ago that walked on the face of the earth. Nobody is in question with that. The question is, who is he? Was he just a man? Was he a righteous man? Was he just a, an inspired teacher, an enlightened teacher, a man and filled with the Spirit of, of God? Was he a prophet sent by God? Was he more than a prophet? Was he God himself? And the Word became flesh, uh, and we beheld him. John wants us to understand the identity of who Jesus Christ. Our relationship with Christ is the single most important question that a person answers. What is your relationship to Jesus Christ. And in order to really examine your relationship with Jesus Christ, you have to know who is Jesus. And so that's where John begins. The other gospels begin with a genealogy or with the ministry of his forerunner, John the Baptist, uh, or Jesus's public ministry itself. But John pulls back he pulls all the way back to before time even was. All the way back to in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He wants to establish uh, right from the beginning the co-eternal nature of Jesus Christ to, with the Father. The fact that they were together before time even was the deity of uh, Jesus Christ. Fully God fully man and show, shows his existence. That Jesus is the one that created all things and through him all things are held together. And so we have creator co-eternal with the Father. He wasn't created. He's not like an angel. There are those cults that believe and, and teach that Jesus uh, was the equal to Satan, that they are both sons uh, of God. And John wants to just dispel that instantly. In the beginning was the word. 
Before there was anything, there was the Word, co-eternal with the Father. And, and then he begins, after establishing that fact, to talk about the ministry now of uh, John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the forerunner of uh, Jesus Christ. And, and so we see that he says that, that there was a man who brought the light, who pointed to the light. He wasn't the light, but he pointed to that light. We're going to see here that John the Baptist erupts onto the scene in Israel out of obscurity. And he begins baptizing in the Jordan River. Now, it was interesting because Jews don't get baptized. Baptism was for a Gentile to be baptized into the Jewish faith. But a Jew themselves, they didn't get baptized. And suddenly now, this man shows up and starts baptizing Jews in the River Jordan. We see, though, that Luke's gospel tells us about the, the birth of this man, John the Baptist. You remember that there was a priest named Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, and they had never had any children. And Zechariah and Elizabeth were now well on in years. Zechariah was a priest. He was one of the courses of priests. Now, the priests were divided up into 24 groups, 24 courses. And each course would serve at the temple for two weeks a year. And then they would have all the priests serving at the high priest, at the feasts and at the various different uh, festivals. And so twice a year, two weeks a year, the priests, Zacharias, would be there at the temple. Now, part of their duties every day was to be assisting in the prayers and the sacrifices, the morning prayer and the evening prayer. And that was a time that the priest would go in and he would offer incense in the holy place before the holy of holies. There was the holy place which had the showbread, the table of showbread on the right as you walked in. The candelabra was on the left. And then straight in front of you was the curtain. Inside of that was the Holy of Holies. There was the, the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant, the very presence of God himself. But outside, right outside of where that curtain was, that was the altar of incense. And that was where you would bring incense and a coal off of the altar from outside and you would offer up that incense. That incense represented now the prayers of the people ascending up before God. Every day in the morning, they would draw by lottery two names of the two priests that would get to go in and offer up that incense uh, during the morning in the evening prayers for that day. <coughs> Once your name <coughs> had been selected, it was removed from the lottery. It was a blessing that you got one time in your entire life to be able to go in and to offer that incense in the holy place. Zacharias's name had never been chosen his entire life. And then one day, his name is now drawn. Today is the day that he himself gets to go in and offer up that incense in the holy place. And as he comes in, and as he is offering up the, the incense before God, that is when the angel appears before him and tells him, Zacharias, your prayers have been heard, and you are going to have a son, and you are to name him John. And 
you remember that Zacharias can't believe that he is going to have a son. That dream had died uh, long ago. And when the angel tells them that you are going to have a son, they are, they are old, they're past childbearing years. And, uh, and so how can this be? And you remember that that doubt, that he doubts the word of the angel that comes to him, you remember that they tell him that because of that, you will not be allowed to speak now. And God removed and made him mute during the entire time of Elizabeth's pregnancy. You remember that after nine months, uh, that child is born and it was time to name him. And you remember that the angel had said that his name is to be called John. Well, when it was time to name him, all the relatives are there and Zacharias can't speak. And so they're talking, they're saying, you're going to name him Zacharias, right? His name is Zacharias. And, and John is like, no, not Zacharias. The tradition was firstborn son is named after the, uh, the father. <coughs> and so there, <laughs> different names are being, and he's like, no. And so finally he writes on a, on a piece of paper, his name is John. And they're like, John? We don't have a John in our family. There's no, there's no Johns in our family. What? No, you must mean, and, you know, and they're trying to, and finally, his name is John. And just then, he has given his voice back, and, and he proclaims that this is the name that God has given to him. And there's this miraculous birth of John the Baptist. You'll remember that during the sixth month of her pregnancy is when Mary, the mother of Jesus, comes in and visits her and then departs shortly before the birth of John the Baptist. And so this young man now is the son of a priest, and he is raised uh, up, but it's interesting because he's not raised in the rabbinical schools. He is not trained, though he is the son of a priest. God has a different plan of training him up and the purpose that he has for him. He calls him out into the wilderness. And there, the Lord ministers to him in that desolate environment. And he grows up rugged. He's dressed in, in camel hair and he eats wild honey and locusts. <laughs> I imagine Zacharias and Elizabeth, they ask, how's your son doing? Oh, well, pray for him. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Where is he? He's out in the desert. <laughs> nice career path. <laughs> we don't know. He's just... We don't know, where did we go wrong? <laughs> but God has a special purpose uh, for him. And, and you remember that there hasn't been a prophet in the nation for 300 years. And suddenly God speaks to John and tells him that he's going to reveal the Messiah to him. And that he is going to be the herald to the Messiah. He doesn't know who the Messiah is. God doesn't tell him who it is. And he doesn't reveal it to him. He says, I want you to go and start baptizing people. And then whoever the dove descends upon and remains, that is the Messiah. And so John takes that step of obedience. And he just goes down to the river and he begins to, to preach. Repent. 
Repent. Get your lives uh, right. For the king is coming. The Messiah and the kingdom of God is on its way. And, and he begins to, to prepare the nation. And suddenly people start to wander out to his ministry and, and hear him. And as they come out to investigate the, the, the claim that there, there is a, a, a person that is out in the wilderness and man, the spirit of God is upon him. And as they come out and listen to his words, they find themselves getting baptized, kind of a, a baptism into repentance, sort of in the same way that people will have a rededication of their, of their life. You see, they're already Jews, they're already God's people, but what had happened is, is, is that God wasn't first in their life. They, they had the routines, they had the rituals, they had the temple, they kept the feasts, they kept kosher homes, they, they, they were obeying the law, but it all became just part of the busyness of life. And that busyness and that routine kind of moved God out of first place in their heart. <coughs> And they just got consumed with, with life itself. You ever been consumed with the busyness of life where you kind of just lose your priorities? And, and that's what had happened to the nation. And John the Baptist is telling them to, to wake up from your slumber and get your priorities back. Put God back into first place in, in your life. And the people start to trickle out to him. He is outside of Jerusalem. If you come down from Jerusalem, Jerusalem's up on the Mount Zion, you come down Jerusalem, you come to Jericho. And if you go, continue east uh, from Jericho, just a short way, there's the Jordan River. That's where John was. So the people from Jerusalem started to trickle down and to come and to see what was going on. And, and as they came, the Spirit of God started to move and people started to get baptized. And more and more people started to tell more and more people. And, and suddenly now the spirit of the Lord was at work. And the religious leaders in Jerusalem got wind of this. That, did you hear what happened? There's, there's a guy out there and he's baptizing Jews. Can you believe it? Why is he baptizing? Jews don't get baptized. Who is he? I don't know who he is. Did you? I didn't authorize him. He's not, he's not, he is an unauthorized baptizer out there in the wilderness. <laughs> Somebody needs to do something about this. We need to send a delegation to investigate this because they are responsible for the religious health of the nation. <laughs> so, and so they send these delegates that are going to go down to and find out who is this person that's out there baptizing Jews in the, in the river. And that's where we pick it up in verse 19 here in this first chapter of John's Gospel. It says, now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They come to John the Baptist and they say, who are you? They have their robes. They have their official attire. John instantly recognizes uh, that this is an official delegation that has come to inquire. John also knows when they ask him, who are you, that they're not asking for his name. They are asking him a specific question. Are you the Messiah? 
Are you starting to build followers? Are you proclaiming yourself to be the Messiah? Is this a messianic statement that you're making by baptizing people and, and by doing this work out here in the wilderness? And John instantly just answers us, I am not the Christ. I, I am not the Messiah. He just simply starts right by going to the core of what their question really is. I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. They, they ask if he's Elijah. Now remember, the Old Testament said Elijah was going to be the forerunner to the Messiah. And they were looking for the Messiah. They were waiting for the Messiah. Messiah is the hope of Israel. They're still looking and waiting for the Messiah today. In fact, knowing that Elijah was going to be the precursor to Messiah, even today at the Passover meal, at the Seder meal, Jews leave their front door unlocked and they set an extra plate at their Seder meal just in case Elijah shows up. It's called Elijah's seat. As a reminder that Elijah is coming before Messiah. And so when John denies that he is the Messiah, then the second follow-up question right away is, are you, are, are, are you Elijah? And he tells him, no, I, I am not Elijah. And they say, are you the prophet? And he answered, no. You remember Moses, as Moses leads the children of Israel out of Egypt, Mount Sinai, the law, and then they wander for 40 years in the wilderness. At the end of Moses' ministry, he says that God is going to raise up for you a deliverer like unto me, him you shall listen to. And so there was this prophet, this unnamed prophet, the voice, is what Moses called him, a voice that God is going to raise up and him you shall listen to. And so they asked him, are you that voice now that was promised to Moses that Moses declared that we are supposed to listen to. And he says, no, I'm not. And then they said, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? This is what they're saying. Will you help us out? We have a form. It needs a name. <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to take a report here, you know. Who, what, what do we put down on this? Who, who are you? In verse 23, he answers, <coughs> I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now John says that I am in the prophetic mode. I am fulfilling the prophecy that was given in the book of Isaiah. I am that voice in the wilderness that is crying, make straight the way of the Lord. And so he declares to them that he is the herald to the Messiah. Now, in that day when a king was going to travel through the countryside, they would send a, a royal messenger out in front of the king ahead of time to tell the towns and the villages, the king is going to take a trip through here, and he's coming through your town, through your village. And what the people would all do is they would stop their farming, and they would get together, and they would straighten out all the roads that the king was going to roll over. And they would smooth out. Every pothole would be filled in. Every bump would be leveled out. Everything that wasn't crooked, they would trim it out and make it nice and get it ready for the king to come through. And John the Baptist is that royal messenger that is sent ahead of time to declare the king is coming and, 
It's not make your road straight, it's make your heart straight. Make your heart straight. Get yourself right. Because the Messiah is on his way. And that was John's ministry. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees and they asked him saying, why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? Why are you baptizing then? Who's authorized you? Why are you doing this? And John answered them saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. And it is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. And so we see that John says, I'm just baptizing with water. And the other gospels, and remember that the author of, of this gospel expects that you already have read the other gospels. And the other gospels, a little bit more of what John the Baptist actually answered them is given. He says, I baptize with water, but there is one coming after me who baptizes with fire and with the Holy Spirit, whose winnowing fan is in his hand, of whose sandal I am not even worthy to unlatch. Why is he talking about unlatching sandals? <laughs> well, you remember in that day when you invited a guest into your house that it was customary to wash the feet of your guests. That was a, a hospitality that you wouldn't show guests. And so the very first act of washing a person's feet was to unlatch their sandal and remove their sandals in order to wash. He says, I'm not worthy to wash his feet, let alone even the first. And step of washing the feet is just to even unlatch the sandal. I'm not even worthy to unlatch the sandal that is on the feet of the one who is coming after me. And so... These things were done in Bethabara beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. And the next day, verse 29, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me, and I didn't know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel, and therefore... I came baptizing with water. So in between these verses here, we have the delegation that was sent to investigate John's ministry, and then they take their report and they depart. And John is just baptizing people there. And it's interesting to me that, that God is going to show him who the Messiah is. He doesn't know. And now the crowds are coming and he's baptizing. And, and it said that whoever the Spirit descends upon and remains, that is the Messiah. And so I imagine John the Baptist, he, he baptizes a person. No. <laughs> baptizes the next person. Nah. <laughs> next person. <sighs> no. <laughs> and, uh, Every day, nothing today. You know, it's like, who is he? Where is he? I'm out here baptizing. I've been baptizing a lot of people. There's hundreds and now there's thousands of people that are coming. It's like, whew, no, 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 no. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is standing in front of him. In all likelihood, he recognizes Jesus as his relative. You remember that Mary is the cousin of Elizabeth? 
and that Elizabeth and Zacharias, they lived in Judea, right near Jerusalem, but Mary and Joseph and, and Jesus, and the family, they lived all the way up in Galilee and Nazareth. But remember that during the feasts, they would travel from Galilee and they would come down to Jerusalem for the feasts. And, uh, and so all your family members would end up having big reunions when you would come into town for the feasts and everybody spread out <laughs> would come and, and find each other. Jesus and John are only apart by six months. And so it is quite probable most scholars believe that they would have been aware of each other as, uh, as relatives. But as Jesus approaches, and so there's a familiar face, but it wasn't the familiar face that stops John in his tracks. But the minute that Jesus approaches, he knows that this is the Messiah. And he is absolutely undone by the moment. The other Gospels record that, it, that he says to, to Jesus, am I to baptize you? You're the one that needs to be baptizing me. And Jesus says to him, suffer it to be so for now, that all righteousness might be fulfilled. And John comes and he takes and he <laughs> baptizes the Messiah. And as he stands him up, the heavens open up and the Holy Spirit descends upon him and the voice booms out through the wilderness. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus departs. And now he's taken into the wilderness for 40 days. He comes back from the wilderness and, and there's Jesus again. And as Jesus comes walking by, he now points to him. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the one that I was talking about that I said that is after me, but actually before me, because he was preferred before me, but that's him. <laughs> and he starts pointing everybody now to him. The other Gospels tell us that he declares that I must decrease that he may increase. My job is finished to identify him and to point everybody to him. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I didn't know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel, and therefore I, I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. And <coughs> I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. And so he identifies Jesus. The baptism starts uh, Jesus' public ministry. And there is the identification that this is the Son of God. And so there is a clear declaration as to the identity of who Jesus is by John the Baptist. He's not saying, here's a, a, a wise teacher. Here's a holy person. He was declaring, here is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Savior, the Promised One that we have been waiting for. 
And again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Now, the two disciples, one is Andrew. We're going to find that out in, in a minute. The other is unnamed. Most scholars believe that it's the writer. John, the apostle himself, was the other apostle. But they're there with John the Baptist. They, John the Baptist was the first prophet that had arisen in the nation in 300 years. And so there were people who were attracted to the ministry of John the Baptist and they were just starting to hang out and listen to him and, and kind of following him. They became the, the followers of John the Baptist. But John the Baptist was now going to take all of those followers and start pointing them to Jesus. And so he points these two disciples that are, are with him. Behold the Lamb of God right there. The Lamb of God. The Jews understood the typology of the Lamb, the recognition that it was the Lamb that you would take for a sin offering and put your hands on that Lamb and you would confess your sins onto the Lamb. And then the Lamb was offered up as a sacrifice, the innocent now paying the price for the guilty and there was a substitutionary atonement that took place and so these were the the lambs the sin offering lambs but now when john the baptist says this is the lamb of god it's one lamb the lamb that god sent down for us and now we can all put our hands on jesus and we can confess our sins and and jesus is going to take our sins now and go to the cross and pay the penalty, the typology that they had been living out now had its full expression and fulfillment in Jesus Christ himself and spoke of the atoning substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Behold the Lamb of God. And these two disciples now, Andrew and John, they go start following Jesus. Jesus is walking and they just start following him. And Jesus turns around and sees them following him. And he says, what do you want? Why are you following me? <laughs> and then Jesus turned, verse 38, and seeing them following, he said to them, what do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi. Rabbi. Rabbi means teacher. The disciples of a rabbi would call their teacher Rabbi. By them addressing them as rabbi, they were saying, we want to learn from you. Where are you staying? We just want to come and, and be where you are. And he said to them, come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th the hour. It's about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. I love that. Andrew is Peter's brother and he goes to investigate John the Baptist and, and who John the Baptist is down at the Jordan River. <laughs> And, and he runs into Jesus and he goes back and he sits with them where, where he's staying and they have these discussions and afterward he immediately goes and gets his brother. I imagine he goes up to Peter. Peter, you are never going to believe who we just found. 
Tell me. No, you have to guess. Just guess. Guess. You're never going to believe it. Messiah. Yes, Messiah. That's exactly who we found. <laughs> you have to come and see him. You're not going to believe it. And he, he takes Peter and he brings him now to Jesus. And now when Jesus looked at him, so Peter comes in to his presence and the opening line of Jesus to Peter is you are Simon, the son of Jonah, and you shall be called Cephas. He gives him a new name. And that new name now is indicative of the character of who he is going to be fashioned into and be formed into. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. I love this. First, we have the disciples that were following after Jesus. The, John points them to them, and then they go and, uh, and they start following Jesus. And, and then there's Philip, who Jesus goes and finds. And there's nothing dramatic or spectacular about his call. There's no story around it that we get. It's just a simple call to Philip, and Philip just simply responds. I compare that to Matthew, the tax collector, who is hated by the people, has thrown his life away, is locked into this booth, has sold out his life for, uh, for money. And Jesus comes and tells him to follow him. And he gets up and leaves that tax collector's booth and he instantly starts following Jesus. And, and to me, that speaks of these dramatic conversions. If we were to all give our testimonies, some of us have dramatic conversions that, where Jesus just takes and pulls us out of incredible destructive lifestyles and bondages and sins and, and there is an a, amazing rescue of their lives and I love hearing those stories and then, and then there's the others they were just church kids grew up in the church and Jesus said follow them and they just did <laughs> no big story. <laughs> I wasn't a murderer on Skid Row. The Lord came to me and <laughs> he delivered me and sent me free. I was just in Sunday school. <laughs> and they said, come, and I did. <laughs> and that's their story. That's Philip. Just, just come, and he followed, and that's it. But you know what? Every one of us has our story. Everyone has that moment where we engaged in Christ and he called us and we entered in and became a, a follower of, of his. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And so Philip now goes to his friend Nathaniel. He says, you're never going to believe it. We found him of who the scriptures pointed to. So they've been talking about the credentials of the Messiah. They've been talking about the scriptures. They, they know that there's a portrait of, of who is <coughs> to come. And, and they've been looking and he says, you are never going to believe it. Remember in Bible study last week when we were talking about what Jesus was going to, we found him. And you know who he is? Jesus of Nazareth. It's the son of Joseph. And I love Nathaniel's answer. Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Really? Nazareth is where 
You say the Messiah is from? Saturday night I was sharing this passage here and and I said, you know, Jesus of Nazareth and Nathaniel's response. I said, it would be like somebody saying, you know, Jesus, and he came from Gary, Indiana. <laughs> and it's like, can anything good come out of Gary, Indiana? At the end of a service, the lady came up and said, I'm from Gary, Indiana. <laughs> and I said to her, see, something good came out of Gary, Indiana, right there. You answered my question. <laughs> <laughs> Can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> and I love Philip's answer. Come and see. I love what he didn't do. He doesn't start a whole theological argument and debate of who is Jesus. He doesn't start pulling out verses and, and trying to convince him that, that this is Jesus and you need to come follow him and, and, and all of these things. And, and Though he had all of that knowledge and information of how he had come to, to that decision. I mean, this is the one who Moses had talked about that we've seen in the scriptures. He just simply says, come and see for yourself. And I see in that the picture of the church, just simply inviting people to just Come and see for yourself. Just come and see. I think sometimes we think that we need to be the evangelist, that we need to have all, all of the scriptures and, and that we need to win these souls for, for Christ. And, and I think that sometimes the answer is just as simple as just come and see for yourself. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good, that his mercy endures forever. And I cannot even tell you the number of people that have invited others to come to church, to come and, and see. And as they begin to hear the word of God in context, taught verse by verse, chapter by chapter, precept upon precept, that, that they suddenly begin to recognize who Jesus is. And then they become aware of their need for Jesus. <laughs> and that at the next altar call, they inexplicably find themselves standing up and coming forwards and, and giving their lives to Christ. And that was a whole process. It wasn't a, a single conversation, conversion, debate of convincing somebody of what you hold to be in true challenging against their structure and their belief system. But just simply come and see. For me, I, I know in my life the difference of who I was before I was saved and, and what Christ has done in me afterwards. What I know is the difference between the carnal life that I was living and the spiritual life that I now live. What I know beyond an absolute certainty is the quality and the emptiness that was in my carnal life. I was like a cat chasing its tail and can't catch it, like drinking water, but can't abate the thirst, like having an itch, but I can't quite get it scratched, and I was miserable. And then I met the Lord, and the Lord filled me and saved me and washed me and cleansed me, and he gave me purpose and hope, and, and suddenly now the quality of my life is just so exceedingly abundantly better than, than what it was before, and whenever... <coughs> Whenever I meet somebody that's not saved, I, I just have compassion and empathy. Because regardless of whether they're killing it or they're in the bottom of doldrums, there's still an emptiness that's in their life that's in the carnal life. 
And I want them, just taste and see. Just taste and, just taste and see for yourself. Don't believe me. I can only tell you what my experience is. I just want to invite you to come and you just taste and see if the Lord isn't good and his mercies endure forever. So Philip, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? As Nathanael comes walking up to Jesus, Jesus makes a, an observation about Nathanael. But Nathanael is saying, hey, you don't even know me. How, how can you be saying something about me when you don't know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I want you to know that being under the fig tree is as a rabbinical term for doing devotions and meditation. It, it was a phrase of sitting there underneath your fig tree and just enjoying the word of God and praying. And, and, and that was the desire that, that everybody would be able to, to just sit underneath their own fig tree and just enjoy the blessings and the goodness of God. And so Jesus <coughs> is telling Nathaniel, I saw you doing your devotions this morning. And now, Nathanael is undone. And Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe you will see greater things than these? And he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. What does that mean? That's a reference back to Jacob's ladder. You remember when Jacob has that dream and, and the heavens open up and this ladder comes down and then the angels are running back and forth between heaven and earth on this ladder. Jesus is telling Nathaniel, I am the ladder. I am the connection between heaven and earth and you are gonna see the blessings flowing back and forth upon this ladder that came down from heaven. And so the revelation of himself now to Nathaniel. As we close our study here, I want to draw our attention before we go just to a single word. It was John the Baptist when he looked at Jesus and he says, behold, behold. And it was that word. Be behold means to look, but it doesn't mean just look at a glance. It, it, it means to look with comprehension. It means to look with understanding. Be behold, this is the Lamb of God. And, and, and so it is that soak that up, understand it, dwell upon that, chew upon that. The Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. And so there is that title of Jesus. And we are to behold that title of Jesus and to look upon that facet because that is certainly just one facet, just one title of Jesus that is indicative and reflective and insightful into the work and the life and who Christ is. He is the Lamb of God who took away your sins, 
who willingly went to the cross with your sins and my sins upon himself, the, the lamb that was sent down by God to receive the sins of the world and then to go pay the innocent, laying down his life for the guilty that we might be washed and set free. <sighs> the lamb of God. Behold, look upon the lamb with understanding. But he's not just a lamb. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. And when you behold the lion, that speaks of his splendor, of his regal nature, of his authority and power. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Behold the lion. Don't just behold the lamb, but behold also the, the lion. And as you just start to understand that and behold the magnificence of his authority. But he is also the good shepherd. Behold the good shepherd. Look upon your good shepherd. What's a good shepherd do? He leads you into green valleys and beside still waters. He restores your soul. He's the good shepherd that's tending out for every single one of your needs. Speaks of the intimacy, of the care and knowledge and communion. He, the shepherd dwells with his flock and the good shepherd lays down his life for the flock. The good shepherd leaves the 99 to go and to get that lost one, the one that's struggling and stumbling and has got himself into trouble and it is the good shepherd that turns the corner and and grabs that lamb. He sees you when you're stumbling, when you're in trouble, when you've cut from the fold and you're headed in the wrong direction. Behold the good shepherd. <laughs> but he is not just a good shepherd. Behold the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Behold him who is above every power, every authority, Every majesty, all dominion, power, praise, and glory be unto him. He is the, the king of kings. But not only is he the king of kings, but behold the holy child. <laughs> Wrapped in swaddling cloths. No crib for a bed. Laid in a feed trough. He could have been born in regal splendor, but in, instead the holy child lies on a bed of straw. Behold his humility, his approachability. Behold the holy child. Behold our great high priest. Behold the I am. Behold the bread of life. Behold the Prince of Peace. Behold, look, understand, comprehend the aspect, the facet, the wonder of Jesus Christ. There are people who are crazy in love with Jesus. I mean like crazy in love with, I mean like crazy in love with Jesus. <laughs> and then there are people that are not, so crazy in love with Jesus. 
And whenever I meet somebody who's not crazy in love with Jesus, I just say to them, the only reason that you're not crazy in love with Jesus is because you don't know him better yet. That's all. Because as you start to behold him and you start to get to know him, you will be irresistibly drawn to his glory, to his beauty, to the wonder that is Jesus Christ. And all you have to do is just keep on getting to know him better. There is a, a song, an old song, like an old, old song. <laughs> and it goes, to know, know, know you is to love, love, love you. And I do. Yes, I do. And that is really the sentiment about Jesus Christ. That as you just get to know him better, you will fall more sweetly, more deeply, more completely in love with him. Behold, the Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And God, we ask that you would just continue to do a great work in our heart and in our life, Lord. Help us to spend time beholding you, getting to know you. The Bible tells us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to grow in that knowledge. Because as we grow in that knowledge, our heart will beat after you. And so, Lord, bless us today. Draw us near to you. Give us a fresh glimpse of you. Help us to behold you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.